to Cinema Rabbit Trails. Um, today we watched The Edge, which is kind of a not very, if, if at all, known film, but it has Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins, so it's, it's it definitely got some good names in there. Uh, wouldn't say it's blockbuster in any way, but we thought it was a good film, or or at least I did. I introduced it to both of you guys, but... A Jerry suggestion. Yes. But yeah, definitely a good film, good stuff yeah, to definitely. talk about. Yeah, Enjoy. yeah. So, uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis here real quick. It's kind of a survival, a wilderness survival film, but it has a little bit more meat to it than just that. <laughs> That's what um, you did there. Yeah, quite quite a lot more meat in it than that. <laughs> but uh, the basic is you have Alec Baldwin, who... Uh, not, uh, yeah, Alec Baldwin, who is a, uh, a modeling photographer for uh, Anthony Hopkins' character's wife. So Anthony Hopkins' character is a very wealthy billionaire. His name is Charles. And uh, Alec Baldwin's character, who's the, the model photographer, his name is Bob. Uh, they both, uh, they, they're all at a lodge, and you know they celebrate Charles' uh, Charles's birthday and things like that. Everything seems hunky-dory, kind of. And then they go on a plane to uh, to get... Well, for Charles, just to kind of get away for a second from from everybody else, but then also just to go get this guy that they can take a picture with with uh, uh, Charles's wife, who is a model. So the tra- uh, the the plane actually goes down due to some birds that fly into the engine and everything, and we're left with uh, Charles, Bob, and one other guy who I I don't, I don't even know if they ever said his name at this point. <laughs> I honestly don't know, but uh, they end up in the wilderness. Um, and they they try to survive. A lot of great quotes and things that we'll get into that in conversation that happened through there. But uh, the the third guy dies, and then it's just Bob and Charles who are trying to find their way out and figure out how do we tell which direction is is the right way to go. Um, they're also started getting chased by a Kodiak bear, which Kodiak bears are the one kind of bear that actually have been known in in North America to actually chase and hunt down humans. So uh, that's quite frightening. Um, yeah, Charles ends up actually. They Charles and Bob finally make the decision. There's no other way we're going to survive this unless we actually try to kill the bear. So they go after the bear and end up. Uh, Charles ends up killing it. Uh, they find a an abandoned little hut lodge thing where they get some supplies. Charles uh, is then actually threatened by Bob. He's he's or Bob tries to kill Charles actually because Bob has been sleeping with Charles's wife and he wants kind of his money and everything else. Um, then Bob falls into a pit and gets stabbed before he can actually shoot him. And the Charles actually tries to save Bob, which he actually is very successful at for a while. Um, drags him over to like a little out uh, inlet, I guess. Peninsula. Yeah, peninsula. Thank you. That's the term I'm looking for. Peninsula. And uh, they finally get rescued, but Bob dies right before the chopper actually arrives. And uh, so yeah, that's that's the basis of the story. So. A uh, fairly basic survival movie just has a lot of great conversation in it, too. Uh, and it's odd. The, the greatest, most odd thing about this film, to me, is just the fact that the wealthy man is the good guy <laughs> in the entire thing, which doesn't happen in virtually any Hollywood movie. Um, you could even say that people like Tony Stark in the new Marvel, in all the Marvel movies, like, he's the most flawed of all the Avengers so he's yes, he is a good guy, but he's also shown to be the most flawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, we have a very non-flawed, heroic, wealthy man, wealthy and powerful man, uh, and you feel for him a lot of the time throughout the film too, because he's always having to question what's the intention of this person I'm talking well, to. Well, I would argue he does have his flaws, but they're not True. they're not the kind of flaws where he's abusing other people to, for his own gain. They're the kind yeah. of flaws where he's very 
highly reserved where he doesn't usually say what's on his mind. He will just tell people it's going to be fine because he's trying to work out a plan. So, I mean, he's got his own flaws where they're just more personal things, but he's not abusing people. True. Those, he does say what's on his mind, though. I mean, he even asked in the plane, just like, so how are you planning to kill me? Well, no, well not that, but I'm saying like, people are like, are we going to die? He says, we're going to be fine. You're going to survive this. And he's just kind of like, I'm going to tell you this, even though I don't. Okay, as you dream. Yeah, so he's, he's tell, yeah. he tells people to kind of get a sense of control, not because he's trying to get ahead. So, But yeah, just That's right. We just hope it, I mean, it, it essentially opens to where we understand that he's a th- theoretical thinker. He's, yes. yes. He reads a lot, gains a lot of knowledge, and that plays a part in the story. True. All right, and you'll have to excuse me. I'm having a little trouble with sore throat today, so I'll get through this. <coughs> it's the holidays, you know. Yeah. Colds come and go. It's true. All right, so uh, one little this, – this is kind of a, a, a small point, but I thought it was worth pointing out, worth asking. So uh, when they're in the plane, Charles realizes Bob has on a very nice watch and everything, and he asks him about it, and Bob explains that it has – it shows two different time zones on it. Uh, it's like this really nice, expensive watch. Um which is just kind of odd, and you find out later, obviously, that Bob is the one who can't be trusted. Uh, but do you see that people you would avoid trusting tend to waste their time on a lot of other things, or spend money on pointless, excessive things? Do you think that's something you see in people? You're like, no, I can't. I wouldn't really want to trust that person because they tend to waste time. Do they? What What's that factor? Do you think that's a common factor in people you see you wouldn't really want to trust? I think uh, sometimes I really do think it's just the reputation that they carry. Uh, Ways in which um, you've heard things directly from them or from others about them. Because your reputation, uh, it carries very far. So it will extend beyond you in many ways. And so when you have someone where just their reputation is well known and it's well tarnished, you might say... Um, not saying that they cannot change their ways later on, but in that sense, you you can kind of get to know not only if you can trust the person by how they behave, but by the company that they uh, they keep and what they communicate about that person. Makes sense. I don't know. If, I think it's interesting. You said mistrust. I on one hand, I kind of see where you're going at. I would take a step back though and look at. What I feel like this story conveys is what's really important here because there's a really neat scene where after they've killed the bear, like, this has been a very huge moment for both of them, especially Charles, because he actually was the one who killed the bear, and it wasn't just theoretical, he actually did it. Um, But he looks out at this horizon, and they're reflecting on all the money that he has, and you can see how this man has, he's got, you know, influence, he's got money, he's got his intellect, and you just see how, how hollow he seems. And he looks up into the horizon. He says, "You know, tell what, tell you what, I'm going to start my life over." And then it cuts to this gorgeous landscape of the mountains and the trees. And at some point, he's asking, like, "You know, hey, aren't you going to go back?" And he says, "Go back to what?" And so there's something about this movie that really helps you understand what's really important in life. And so, kind of to your question about do people spend excess on money? I think we, you know, our excess we spend that all the time. Because we're so busy trying to fill our lives with things that really don't matter when it really comes down to serious things. Because we're, you know, busy. We have people saying you should buy this. This will make you happy. Or, oh, hey, go get that relationship or whatever. We're stuffing our lives with very artificial things. So So you think that's just a common 
factor in, in most people's lives, a common problem in people's lives, as opposed to a sign of this is person is not worth trusting. Right. Okay. Um, I think people who are mistrusting are maybe more are highly we're probably more inclined to something like that because they're trying to get something, and of course they don't care what artificial stuff is there to get what they want. Okay. But I think that's just a common thing we all will fall into because you know we're just trying to get through life and trying to make things happen, and you know if we're not on the edge of our you know, surviving for our lives, we're going to find things just to fill our time that really don't matter. Okay. All right. So second question. Uh, Charles doesn't claim to know everything, even though his wife colloquial said, in the colloquial sense says he does. Um, but he also says his knowledge is, quote, not an accomplishment. It's a freak, unquote. So that said, is wisdom pointless unless implemented? And you could re- substitute wisdom for knowledge. Wisdom, knowledge, Is it pointless. really wisdom, though? I've always I've always viewed wisdom as um, apply, as knowledge applied because you can know everything. That, that's fair. So let's substitute that and say is knowledge pointless unless implemented? Right. Well, C.S. Lewis talked about here's another quote talked about wisdom is you know having a good idea. Well, I'm trying to think how the quote goes. He talks about how solid food is only great if you have some or having an open mouth is only great if you have something to chew down on, chew down on. So if you know all the knowledge in the world but you have nothing to do with it. It's kind of as useless as having all the money in the world but nothing to buy. You know, at some point you're going to starve because you actually need to eat. Mm-hmm. And so that knowledge is almost like a currency where it's like unless you start spending it and using it in very meaningful ways, it's something that just grows toilsome mm-hmm. and burdensome because it's like I have this, but it's almost worthless now because I have nothing to use it for. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Knowledge needs to have an, an application, or is it really knowledge at all? Maybe just, you know, space being filled in thoughts, but yeah. that, that's about it. Also, if we think from the, the side of wisdom, though, then you do have something where there is knowledge involved, but it's also an understanding of your lack of knowledge as well. True. So he, actually, I think actually... The first step towards wisdom is knowing you have none. That's right. And actually, in some ways, Charles does exhibit that. I thought so, too. He exhibits that an understanding of... He doesn't always know what to do, but he does have an understanding of uh, what's in the distance rather than what is merely in front of him. So that allowed him to get through. And yet, it's funny because he does say... He talks about how... He lacked. He lacks imagination. And that was my favorite thing. That was one of that's my favorite. That's great, quotes. and that's an interesting thing that maybe we can get into later. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that real quick. I know I'm the one asking questions here, but I just thought exactly. that was funny because you know that's it's the uh, it's the people who, other than a select few, who are imaginative and passionate. Most people who are just imaginative and passionate don't, at least initially, until well practiced, and they implement some logic into it. They usually, don't get very far financially. Hmm. Um, and Charles, I think, is, we never actually know why Charles is rich. We never know how he made his money. But he hints at the ideological aspect of why with that quote, because he says, I have no imagination. I just made a decision tree, basically. It's mm-hmm. like the, they talk about, like, literally, I was just it's completely logical. I saw how this world worked. I saw how I can make money. It's like, do this, 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 with that, and that, and that, and I'll make this much, and I'll make a bunch of money here. Mm-hmm. That's literally all he did. He, just, he was just cold and logical about it. He didn't put passion into it mm-hmm. it was just this is how we, how you get there i might as well do it so all right so next question um 
in the exchange of the coin and the knife during the birthday party. Uh, he gives him the, the coin in return for the knife. Charles gives Bob the coin in return for the knife because superstition is that if you don't, then the knife cuts the friendship. Mm. Um, which I hadn't, hadn't heard, but I, then I looked mm. it up after watching this for the first time. I was like, oh, that's a real thing. That's a real like mm. superstition. I'd never heard it. But uh, that said, what is true friendship built on? It's funny because I got a wedding gift as an I got a knife as a wedding gift. So I'm wondering, I'm like, man, do I need to give a coin back because they moved? You should, you should. <laughs> but then I got the knife. I was carjacked and the knife got stolen. So I guess we're okay. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> so, here, I'll answer See, what you're like, thinking. Yeah, what is I'll true friendship you. built on? Oh. Yeah, I think it's built on faith. faith. You can, you really can't fully trust someone. If we, we truly look in that perspective, we cannot truly trust anyone um, here on earth. Now, we as Christian brothers here do believe that we can trust one another in the sense that we put our trust in God. Mm-hmm. And that's where that trust springs from. But your trust has to be not only in each other, but in something else. Because if it's merely, for example, you know, they were tackling an issue here of survival. If, it's, if it was merely about their friendship you see how that could break down very quickly uh, just due to many circumstances of what was going on. Mm. But in the situation where they had to come to a single, to, they had to work to, to a singular goal, suddenly that's what prompted them to something beyond themselves. So when it really comes um, to what friendship means, I, I do believe it really does come and it is founded on faith. Um, not only faith in each other, but faith in a common goal. David? Oh, I, I really think that's a great point where, to echo what you just said, how, what's the purpose, you know, what are we running towards? And as, as brothers in Christ, we are running towards this, we are running towards God himself, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, saying like, who is this God? It's that pursuit of that relationship. And there's a lot of things that we have to work through in our world. Uh, our own our own temptations, the things that we're struggling just as young men, mm-hmm. uh, financial things, and through that all, we're all struggling towards the same goal. And with that, that builds a a camaraderie, mm-hmm. kind That's of like in the you know in the military. You know, you're going through a very rigorous experience being trained, but you're all going through it together. And that experience could break the friendship, or break that bond, or mends it back ever stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. So really, it's your own character. And also, what's the object of what you're pursuing? And with your, and if you're with other people pursuing that same goal, you're going to have an amazing relationship built because you're both running at the same pace. And if one of you stumbles, you're there to pick them up. Yeah, and you know, there's an interesting quote in there that uh, may play a part into that theme. He said, and again, you know, let me know if I'm reading into this, but he did say when they were lost and they didn't have uh, like a compass or any direction, he said. Uh, Charles said, just because your compass is broken doesn't mean you're lost. So did that have to do with Baldwin eventually make... While I was watching this film, I thought, okay, is that a reference to maybe Baldwin coming to a point where he has to make a critical moral decision? And to where his seemingly moral compass was put to the test. It didn't mean he was completely lost. He was redeemed in the end, which he was. I think that was unintentional. But as far as them putting in the movie for that reason, mm-hmm. I think it was actually a little bit more of a wilderness survival ideology yeah, to right. it. But I, you can definitely implement it that way. I mean, God built the world to where we can actually draw a metaphoric 
metaphors for morality through nature mm-hmm. and through the laws of nature. So, case in point. Yeah. But yeah. I'm going to have to use this one in my own life. Cool. Well, <laughs> well I want to hear your thought, Jerry, about that because you're asking, it's a good question, but I really would love to get your... your what is true friendship built on? Yes. Um, I, I, I mean, I wish I had something more to say, but I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is, it is faith. Um, I think outside, if you, I guess when I frame the question, I tend to do this when I, when I'm looking at films sometimes that aren't obviously in a Christian light or just, they're just films and in the worldly light. So I'm thinking of, okay, what is friendship on a, on worldly means? What is friendship based on? And I think you'd get different answers from a lot of different people. But as far as what true friendship is, true friendship is based on, um, even outside of Christianity, I think you'd still have to boil it down to some sort of faith. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just faith that if I serve you, you will serve me. You know, scratch each other's backs. Even if it's just right. that basic of a level, it is still a faith that you're going to do your part. Isn't that like on good faith? Isn't that the yeah, same? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, And at the end of the day, we're, we're relational kind of beings. So we, we crave relationships. And of course, mm-hmm. friendship is is more than just acquaintances. So it's it's mm-hmm. yeah deeper. All right. So... Um, we see this with the owner of like the cottage that they stay at when he starts giving him like these like drawings for a resort renovation of the entire place that would cost millions. Um, and Charles just kind of walks away. So we see that Charles does not waste time on or with people once he has realized they are in it for his money or just for what they think he can do for them. Um, so while everyone in the world has issues with relationships, obviously, do you think that wealthy and powerful people should be more cynical about others in business and in personal relationships? Do you think they Mm -hmm. should be more cynical? Is that a virtuous thing to do, to be more cynical whenever you have that level of wealth and power? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, they are depicted as someone who has more to lose. And so those from the outside looking at their own position of prosperity is going to believe, well, we need to even this out or we need to take away his voice you might say whatever the motivation is they believe he has something to lose so in that sense yeah yeah if you're gonna um if you're going to acquire wealth then you do need to be cynical maybe is not the word but at least more discerning yeah i'd say i'd call it the i was just writing this down the burden of wealth beauty and power what i mean by that is these are amazing things that we can possess, but once we possess them, other people are going to want them. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, kind of a, I remember I was at a um, staffing at a retreat one year, and we were discussing just these issues with these two different uh, male, male and female students. And this one girl, she's very, very pretty, and she just had a hard time saying, you know, no to guys who wanted to pursue her. She's like, I just don't want to have to deal with that. And I was talking with some of the other counselors who were trying to figure out how do we resolve this issue I'm like she has to realize she has she's very beautiful she has that gift and she's seeing it as a curse that's the thing beauty can be a it can be a gift and a curse because it's great because hey I'm very attractive guys want to talk to me but it's also a curse because it's like you also have to be very discerning because guys are going to come up to you how are you going to respond how are you going to talk to um, surround yourself with people who are actually going to want the best for you because people will want to use you just for your body if there's a photographer, if they're just the guy who just wants to have this beautiful girl on their arm. So it's a burden because you have to realize, I have a gift, and people are going to want to use that gift for their own 
selfish purposes. So I could see why someone would become cynical. And even if you don't have those gifts, you can become cynical. But I see why you have to be, as you said, very discerning. Because do people want you for you? Or do they really just want what you have? Because we live in a world that's, we're always looking out for number one. Let's, you know, it's, that's part of our fallen selfish nature is we always want something for ourselves. That's right. And that's why we have Christ is we have to let go of that nature and be like, all right, this is the new nature you've given me. So um, I can see why people would be cynical, but definitely I'd say the word discerning is because more people want to have what they have just because it's it's an easy ticket to you know money, power, and beauty. Yeah, and you know that you notice that Bob just there's this one moment where he just let loose on Charles about Charles' wealth and so on. And it was because there were things that Bob believed and assumed about Charles that he wanted to be true. And so it just all came out in that moment where he was desperate and he just wanted to throw out what was truly in his heart. So that that was an interesting moment of uh, him expressing what he really felt about the wealth. And that also plays to, I mean, who Charles could trust. And he learned... A lot more about Bob in that mom- in that moment, mm-hmm. and perhaps the trajectory of their friendship or wherever that would take them. All right. So next question, kind of playing off that one. Uh, do money and power, and you can add beauty in there, but uh, do those elements corrupt people, or do they simply amplify the character traits of the person who possesses them? We've been told all the time that money and power corrupt, but if obviously if you're a moral person does that mean that you are more likely to make more mistakes with it like you're you're going to become evil because you have all these things or is it just going to amplify the nature that you already have david he answered first last time your turn <laughs> okay even if it's just spewing out thoughts as they come it's fine no I mean, it's interesting so we're talking about what do we let's talk about what do we mean by corruption we're talking about this should be used in a certain way, but that's been twisted. I mean, is that what we're talking about? Corruption, corruption? I guess, would be instead of using things for the um, using them specifically for selfish or evil purposes or advancing. Um, I'm trying to think. That is that is a good point. I didn't think about that. What what is the nature of corruption? Um, Sounds like I a guess, good blog post. What? Sounds like a good blog post. Right. What is the nature of corruption? But. Uh, I guess what I mean by does it corrupt or corruption in general? Um, whenever they are used to manipulate other people, let me let me put it there. When you start using those elements to manipulate others, because mm-hmm. yeah, you you can man- manipulate them towards even a good end, but manipulating people is still wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So because you even he- you you hear it all the time in Hollywood movies, just like the ends justify the means. Of like the bad guy and everything, who's like usually always the wealthy and powerful person in any movie, um, but it's it's always like in any James Bond film, the rich bad guy who has this grand facility and all this stuff, and he's just like the ends justify the means. So they're willing to do immoral things to reach what may be a, a moral a, uh, objective, but they're going about it the wrong way. So they are they're therefore manipulating it. Mm-hmm. Well, from that point point of view, because we've you, you've mentioned several times how. Many times we see the wealthy, you know, however we want to define that, as being the bad guy. 
And it pro- I think there is some truth to that. The reason why there, that could be a stereotype is because we've seen a lot of wealthy people do a lot of things that have hurt people just because they're of their own financial gain. But that's not everybody. I mean, we have very poor people who still make very poor decisions and very selfish decisions because I think there's there's truth to that where if you're given more power, it's going to amplify what kind of choices do you make. If someone wins the lottery, if they're poor, it's probably likely, unless they have some good character, it's probably likely they're going to spend that money very frivolously on things that really don't matter and they're going to be even more in debt or more in a bind because they spent they didn't spend it wisely. So I think there is truth that it does amplify what gifts you were given. So definitely you shouldn't ask God to um, just help you win the lottery. You should be asking for God helping me to be, have the stronger character so I can be better, I can have be better equipped to handle more resources. Um, but then I think there is, it can corrupt you because it's like, it can go to your head where it's like, wow, I am this, who was the, who was the Roman where he'd be riding in on his chariot and he had his servant always telling him, you're just a man. You're just a man. Cause everyone was praising him as a God. You know who I'm talking about? No. I forget who it was, but that can go to your head where it's like, wow, I am a God. I do have money. I can control people. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that pride that seeps in where it is so easy to go down that path and just start making your own decisions saying, Hey, I can be the ruler of my universe. I can make my own choices. Mm-hmm. And immediately that's where wisdom and that's where our unselfishness starts taking over. And then in that regard, it does corrupt us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would spring off of that. I do agree with that, that it absolutely does. And when you look at all three of the, the, the wealth, the money or the uh, wealth, the beauty and the power. Yeah. Those are all for achieving our ends just naturally that's what we would want to pursue is we would use those for our own endeavors and so really this is a big blanket over what humanity is it spreads the blanket of sin is really what it's about is a it, the the understanding that we will always go for the self in the end and so because of that um, we would have to rise above that through our world view whatever your world view is is going to matter when you have these um, these acquirements of power, I guess. So wealth, beauty, and power. Those things are going to be um, directed according to your worldview. Okay. And kind of just to quickly sum it up, I'm trying to remember, there's a quote that goes something like this. It says, uh, do you use people to obtain um, power or money or the, th- the things? Do you use people mm-hmm. to obtain money or no do you use people to obtain stuff or do you use stuff to help people like what's your what's your motivation here and what's your end goal hmm. yeah nice. no. all right um does worrying about something ever help the situation yes no <laughs> <laughs> i say that because one of my signature things i deal with is anxiety that's just part of my personality but i think as long as i could just think about it long enough i can figure it out and a lot of times you, there's just things in life you really can't figure out until you actually do it or you make choices and make mistakes. Like, Jerry, you've encouraged me to embrace consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, make a choice and embrace the consequences. And I think with um, Anthony Hopkins' character, he all of his knowledge was so theoretical. And it was interesting as he was like, well, hey, this is what we need to do. And he's like, you could tell it wasn't because he had the confidence of experience. It's because it's like, oh, I read this in a book. This is what we're going to do. 
but there really wasn't the character behind it though. But that that develops over time. So. So no, but anxiety doesn't help because anyway, it just it paralyzes you. Yeah. And sometimes make the best thing is making a decision and having the character to say, "I'm making a decision. I'm moving forward." And. You know, making as best decisions as you can as you're thinking through critical issues and being a person of character. Mm. Yeah. It really does. Worry is a cycle. There's no forward movement in it. Uh, now, that's not denying we do worry. It is there. I mean, in situations, sometimes it's unavoidable being human. Sure. We are just concerned about what's happening. And there is a dif- difference between concern and worry. Because concern can move forward. You can be concerned about someone's welfare and still be there to help them and so on. But worry, yeah, worry just means you're sitting there fretting about what could happen. You're wringing your, you're wringing your hands. Mm. And so it keeps you in a, a, a single position, a single cycle. So you're worried about what could happen instead of what will happen. That's right, yeah, and exactly. You, you, can't, you can't always imagine what may happen. It's like, all right. Here's what's going to happen, and you make the best decision. Yeah, it's almost like an abstract quandary. Yeah. Do you think that, this is not something I wrote down, but spurring off of what you said, but um, do you think that more knowledge, now keep in mind, not wisdom specifically, because wisdom implies action, but do you think more knowledge makes it more likely for someone who is in a situation where one could choose to just worry about it? Um, do you think more knowledge makes them more likely to just act because they have more knowledge to pull from or is it simply like that's just not even a factor yeah I would actually agree with that knowledge can go a long way when you are uh, worried it could be that you just simply don't have the resources mentally or physically uh, that you're not aware of so yeah I do think that um, that acquirement of knowledge would be very helpful yeah in being able to use the resources around you. Yeah, because in this movie, I think it shows, I, I would agree with your answer, because it shows that he, not only did he have wealth and power, he also had an abundance of the resource of information. Mm, and yeah. that allowed him to act. That's right. So, I, I, I don't know if it would specifically instill confidence in someone to act, um, but it is a resource, and if it's something you can pull from, then mm. it gives you an out. I would still, I kind of... I agree, but I also realize that just because you have more information is not going to give you his. The reason why Charles, you know, Anthony Hopkins' character, he acted is I believe he had the grit and character to say, "We're going to make a choice, and we need to move forward." And he had the knowledge to back that up. But there's been times where I'm wanting more information, and in a way, we can be gluttons for information and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just need more information, then I will act. Okay, well, if I just had more, we're looking for security and. It's we're looking for security for something that doesn't really exist. There's going to be a point where you take a choice and you move forward. Yeah. So I think it's character and grit that. I think that's what made Charles so remarkable is just because he had such a theoretical understanding, and yet he put that into execution. And mm-hmm. theoretical understanding backed by the practical uh, application of that is really powerful. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we only got a few minutes left, but two questions left. So. Uh, Bob admits several times that he needs Charles in order to get out of the forest alive. Uh, so, speaking in two separate elements, you can speak to either or both, do we both politically and spiritually need wealthier and more powerful people in order for us to thrive? 
And for those listening, just to make sure you didn't hear me wrong, I didn't say survive in order to thrive. T-H-R-I-V-E. Because we can obviously survive without political people people being in power above us. Um, but, I mean, even so, thrive would be the term. I would say this. We are, we've all, we both, we all agree we're relational beings, right? Correct. And we need other people to not just survive, but to thrive. There's the old saying that says, if you see a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. Someone put him up there. So I would argue that there's always going to be someone who is smarter than you, who is more wealthy than you are. And it's not that I need you to help me get ahead in life. It's that we build relationships and that's how we make our way in life. We're not some products of our, we're not islands. We're always connected with other people. And so in that regard, we do need wealthy people. And I'm not saying in abstract terms, I'm talking like I have mentors. These guys make more money than I do. They're more creative. They have a higher network, you know, a higher network, but I don't go to them because they make that. They want to pour into me. And as a result, I become more wealthy because of maybe I can make more money or because I have better relational skills or because I'm better at customer service. So in that regard, yeah, we need other people. We need relationships to thrive. And if they have, if they make a nice figure income, awesome. But there's always going to be people who are going to be smarter and wealthier than you are. And that's not a bad thing. It's, it's the way, it's the world in which we live in. Yeah. So I don't have a degree in political science or economics, <laughs> but I do know that... It's a good disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> that the generation of wealth requires someone who is wealthier, who, who will lead to the generation of that because if everyone is on equal standing at, in that economic structure then who, where are we going to uh, aspire to where is that going to move on and, and secondly aspirations we actually do need someone to aspire someone to look up to uh, and goals to aspire to and so if if we don't have it like you said you have mentors who are wealthier than you are who have maybe more resources and is that a reason to uh, grow jealous or is that a reason to uh, lose hope in your own circumstances no it's not instead it's to encourage you along so it's a way to motivate motivate you and if we're all on equal standing i mean that doesn't really help us at politically and spiritually either because in in many ways that can end up working together in the sense that yeah, we, we might have uh, this political, certain political view of wealth, but also it ends up reflecting back on us and our own spiritual issues inside. So it, it, it plays back to, it really prompts questions of ourselves rather than those be, better than ourselves. Yeah. All right, so since we've established that we do need people who are older, wiser, wealthier, more powerful in order for us to thrive, we go up the ladder per se uh, why are we taught so often that the rich are evil or corrupt maybe I should switch it not necessarily evil but corrupt but give me a, an example where you see that being played out that that kind every of single Hollywood movie other than this one okay <laughs> Bruce Wayne <laughs> uh, why do you think that what's what what's the objective of people trying to say that um, oh, the rich are, are so corrupt, so evil. Like, 
I even had a, I, I'll give an example for me recently. So Perfect. I had someone at work who gave me a conspiracy theory that they believed, her and her boyfriend believed, that uh, 9-11 was actually planned by our government so that we could then attack the Middle East to get their oil. Mm. Like, they actually believe this. And, uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's other examples out there, I'm sure, but that, that was just, that just struck me to the core. It's like, you actually believe that there, there are people in our government who would actually kill thousands upon thousands of their own people just so they could get more oil. Mm. You actually believe this. Um, so why is that? Why is that so enticing for us to believe that the rich are evil, the rich and powerful? Well, like what we were uh, talking about pre-podcast, I think you you were talking about how just like how our thoughts were were, were shaped based on the media, and so I can't remember exactly what you said, David. Do you remember what we were talking about? We were talking about just how uh, it was shaped through our understanding because of like movies and media and things like that. You don't remember, do you? Okay, that's okay. I'm trying to. Um, but it, but essentially, it, we are sh- it, we're shaped in a way through that modern lens. So it could be through what we uh, consume, so movies, and then the news, maybe that's released, things like right. that that are done in that but way. But why do they do that? Like, yes, we are all manipulated by media and everything, and whatever mm-hmm. we absorb through entertainment. Uh, we are influenced through through that, but why is that such a common thing that we're trying to that's trying to be forced down our throat that everyone who is rich or powerful has some has is is corrupt or evil uh, in some way? Yeah, it's because we don't want a superior human being. <laughs> you think? We want everybody on equal standing in a way. I mean, are, 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 there's a thought you're kind of driving at is it could there's poli- always there's politics involved with this, but the idea is if someone is super super wealthy. And they could be wealthy for a number of reasons. If we deem them as the bad guy, there can be opportunity to bring that person down so that, you know, like uh, Bob's character, he didn't like Charles, not because he was, well, he didn't like Charles because he was wealthy, and he said, like, you're wealthy, therefore you're this, that, and the other. You're this horrible person. And therefore I'm completely justified in trying to take this, you know, trying to rob you of that because I'm a much better, because I'm not, you know, he equivocated being wealthy was being this evil person. And he's saying, like, therefore, I'm justified in taking that wealth from you because you're an evil person. I know you are. You have to be because you are wealthy. So could that be a motivating factor where it's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to be better off because this person is gone. And then we, I get more of their, I get some of their money. I mean, it could be selfish motive like that. Yeah. Yeah, Just speaking to my own question, I think it boils down to basically just greed. And yeah, to basically what you said is if we can identify if we can throw a, a persona on the rich wealthy and powerful that they are evil and they are corrupt then we use that as a means to justify us mm-hmm. getting their wealth yeah, and power right. that's right so, mm-hmm. so exactly uh, which even if it's like even if you steal something from the most corrupt evil evil uh, business owner if like the CEO of Amazon turns out that he was a we're not throwing shade on, on no, no 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 hypothetically hypothetically not not even allegedly here hypothetically <laughs> if if the greatest if the largest company in the world ceo turned out that he was uh uh stealing from his own company and that he was uh uh he had let's just say he uh he had multiple affairs and so on and so forth you could list on all these things he was doing drugs like all these terrible evil things 
does that still would that justify anyone taking money from him? If it's illegal, he doesn't. That's not that. Right, it's it's illegal, but does that justify the public then taking his money because he's evil, or taking anything from him because he has an evil nature to him? Because now we're getting to the question of justice. It's like this was no, 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 not not justice taking things from him. No, that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about justice here. What you're talking about now is saying, does that justify like, oh, he's a bad person, so I am going to take exactly my portion of his money? It's like this money doesn't go to you because it wasn't. And people would say, well, I was stolen. It was stolen from me. It's like, all right, well, was it stolen from you? That so I mean, that's that's the question of justice. But you know, you guys, we're talking about the difference between greed and justice. Yeah. Because we're all, we will always have needs. We will yeah. always want more than what we have. But is that just because everyone, someone else, someone else has more than what we have? Yeah. Does that justify us getting that? Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what you're driving. I see. Right. Like if I work for that guy, if I, if I'm the second in command of that big company, and the guy. And the first in command is doing all these terrible things, all these illegal, evil, terrible stuff. Does that justify me, like stealing power from him by force, in any sort of way? I would say no. Mm-hmm. It's still that that now you're the one who's now stolen something. You're mm-hmm. the one who's now committed an evil act, and you have become what you thought, what you were. You literally have actually succeeded in being greedy. But you've become the, the object of, that your own greed justified to, to do it. So now it's going to go down to the, your second in command, who then is greedy of you and sees that you stole power, and he's going to try to steal it from you. It's just an endless cycle. Welcome to the world. Yep. All right, so final question, because we've pushed the time too far. So, um, What is something unequivocal that you each want to achieve? And could be I, theoretical, could be an actual, or it could be ideological. Even. And to but, put this in context, in the movie, after they've killed the bear he said you know he's looking at the bear and he says I've always wanted to do something that was unequivocal because it's like here's a guy who's a billionaire we don't, we don't know but I mean he's super super wealthy but he's like I killed the bear that's pretty amazing and yeah. not, and not very, with a gun like not from a distance like a from spear with a yeah with a wooden spear that he made yeah and then he wore the bear's hide it does not get <laughs> any more epic than that not really no so and if you guys don't have an answer at this point, that's fine. But at the very least, we can challenge those who listen to our podcast to ask that question of themselves. So ask the question one more time very clearly. What is something unequivocal that you want to achieve in your own life? Well, I guess I'll take on the... <laughs> Do I want to Put on the daunting question. Mantle. The what? Put on the bearskin mantle. That'll be yes, a new, new right. saying. Put on the bearskin. Let's see what you got. <laughs> Well, one of my one of my greatest uh, passions is music, and when it comes to that, and also just when you're asking to achieving something unequivocal, uh, it starts to kind of reflect on just my own desires and my own um, really just my own worldview and what that looks like. But one thing that I hope to uh, communicate through my music is the glory of God, because if you take something so uh, not fully understandable like music it's almost an intangible thing it's something that you fool, you can't fully grasp and if you see it through the lens of okay this is something God created something so remarkable and wondrous that we can't truly understand that and then if I can share this in a way communicate that in a way where it uh, leads people to understand more about God and then lead to a more unified vision of okay now I see you know looking at the way I make music and be like, okay, I see why you create music now. 
now here's why I create music. So all of a sudden we have a discussion of what our true desires are and where we where our uh, our passions can be invested in, whether it's the arts, whether it's mathematics, so on. But in the end, you see where all of uh, where the pursuit comes down to a unified vision of no matter where your passion rests, you still are it's still done through unified effort. If that makes sense. I hope the, I'm hoping that makes okay. some sense. <laughs> okay, I think so. That again, that is more theoretical. It's more that's fine. Yeah, so. I mean, we can get the theoretical answer. It doesn't have to be. I want to do this. It's, it can yeah. be ideological. So can I come back in forty years and we'll evaluate your answer. Be like, Adam, that was <laughs> yes. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, David. Mine, it's kind of, kind of going to be somewhat theoretical as well. Uh, just because I'm still figuring out what do I want to what kind of an impact I want to be known for, but I do know I love challenging people and helping them thrive. I, and that's why I love quotes. Like I loved, um, in the movie they said, um, Charles is talking about this bear, and he said, we are all put to the test, but it never comes in the form or at the point we would prefer, does it? And so I, I love quotes because they can challenge our way of thinking. I love good art because it challenges how we see the world and how we are impacted and so I know for me I want to be involved in projects service outreaches ministries that really impact people um, and such like I wrote a, I got to write a book for a man who um, just passed away a few weeks ago and it was neat just being part of a, a project that was bigger than myself and not because I wanted to make any money or fame but because it was like it was something that needed to be done um and that was neat to be part of something like that where I know I can I can die and realize, you know, I did something incredible. I'm not going to die of, as they kept talking about in the movie, die of shame because it's like I've never done anything or I don't know what to do. It's like do what you believe is the right thing to do that's going to impact people. And as a Christian, there's a lot of things I want to do to impact people where I'm constantly surrendering to my selfish nature. I'm trying to see people for who they are because ultimately that's how God sees me. You know, he, he sees my mess and still loves me anyway. And so that gives me that security, that confidence, like, all right, how can I love people where they're at? And out of that, what projects can I get involved in? What can I make? How can I love people? What wisdom can I feed someone today? And so there's, I'm a very, I'm realizing how relational I am, and I just, I want to meet people where they're at and do everything I can for that season to help them thrive. All right, great answers. I like it. And Jerry. Oh, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, the, you're not the getting interviewer. That, that was bothering Mark. We were thinking about that one the whole time. You're not getting off this okay, that right. easily. So uh, my answer to that it would be somewhat theoretical. Um, it would be really I would I want to be the and it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. Like I, when I say this, it sounds like a very large scale thing, and I don't. It doesn't have to be. But I would like to be the father of inspiring a, a new movement of something. It could be a new movement in music. It could be a new movement in just like a, a next generation of new creative stories that, you know, we have. Uh, like I've talked to you about this in writing, just how we had like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. You had like these grand worlds that have inspired so much. And then you had Harry Potter. It's like all these things that created these whole new worlds that everybody loves and inspired new stories. And then... Now it seems like everything we have is just remake after remake after remake after like continuing the universe. Like, can we get something new that is just amazing? If it, if it's in a story, or if it's even in a church or a local community, it's just being the father of some some of inspiring some new movement. So, yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, 
All right, well, that has been Cinema Rabbit Trails. Uh, once again, the movie was The Edge with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. came out in 2002. I definitely suggest you watch it. It is a fantastic film. Uh, and it is rated R, so definitely uh, just... Not, yeah, there's not, there's a few cuss words here and there. On a, on a, it's not it's not just like littered with language. It has probably about. It's, I mean, I'm saying if I if you're in that situation, you definitely would expect something like that. Yeah, true. But true, it's so. just letting you know it can get a little. It's intense because you know they yeah, are being chased by a bear, and you know it's not yeah. excessively gory, but it's enough yeah. where it's it's it gets you on edge. Yeah, no, no pun intended. Yeah, if, if yes. it came out today, it'd probably be more of minus minus the number of cuss words per minute. Or per length of time, it's yeah, it'd be like a, it'd be a PG thirteen as far as co- physical content, if anything. So, Let's see, but yeah, but yeah. So Good keep movie. those sensitive pets out of the room. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you have any pet bears, they will not appreciate mm. this film. So, all right. So and the bear some... was in the credits too. What was it? What was he? Bar- Bart, Bart the bear. Bart, Bart the bear. That was amazing. Okay. That's enough puns. For it's Christmas tonight. time, so I'm Christmas. Christmas music is yeah. Amazing, so. All right, well, for Cinema Rabbit Trails, I'm Jerry. I'm David. I'm Adam. And have a good night, guys.